0: Well, welcome. I'm glad that you are uh, joining in with us in the worship on this Lord's Day. Wherever you may be in your, in your homes, uh, know that uh, the Lord is with you. And because he is with you, because Jesus Christ is with us as he promised, we know that he hears our worship, he will listen to uh, our prayers to him, he will receive gladly the songs that we sing to him, and the proclamation of his word. I'd like to uh, thank everyone again who's making this uh, possible. Uh, Chris Hetlidge is there in the sound booth and making this possible to record this. Uh, Amy Reber is playing the piano. And those who are singing, who you may see or may not be able to sing, are Jewel Morrison, Sandy Boyd, Dick Forrester, Jan Murray, and Russ Murray, Barbara Tree. And Susie Patterson. Again, I want to to thank uh, the the congregation for the for the generosity in which you have continued to be giving of your offerings uh, through the mail or dropping it by or through your bank. And I just encourage you to uh, continue to do that so that we may carry on uh, the ministries of our church. Now let's prepare our hearts for worship. you um.
1: Worship this morning comes from Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. Hear God's word. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's sing together.
0: We do come and we give praise to our great God. And we exalt you, our God. You are exalted in the heavens upon your throne. The angels have gathered all about you. The saints who have gone before us are there in your presence. And they are exalting you and worshiping you. And we gladly, we, we humbly join in with those voices to lift up the praise of our great God. We praise you for our Lord Jesus Christ, who has come and has won our victory, so that we might enter into your presence and knowing that you will receive our worship. We give you praise for your Holy Spirit, whom you have sent to dwell within us and among us. And we pray now for your Spirit to be upon us so that in the, the words that we lift before you will truly spring from our hearts, and you will receive our worship with delight. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Our confession of faith for this morning is from the Nicene Creed. You will find that in your bulletin. Let me invite you to join with us as we recite this ancient faith together. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man. He was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and Giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead
1: and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our second scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 21, 1 through 14. I'll be reading from the ESV version of the Bible. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, will you go? Will you go? We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was him. Jesus said to them, children. Do you have any fish? They answered, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put out put off his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. For they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got on the the land, they saw charcoal fire, in, in a place. The fish laid out on it and the bread. And Jesus said to them, bring me some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him. Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let's continue in our worship singing. Jesus, draw me ever near.
0: Turn now to the Lord in prayer. We do give you thanks, our Father, that we may come to you as your children. We come to the, the great Creator of all that there is, of all of the universe, of all that we can see, of that which we cannot see. All has been made by your mighty hand, and all is still guided by the power of your hand. You are the God who is omnipresent. You are present everywhere. Here in this very sanctuary, throughout this world, throughout the galaxies, the universe, you are fully present there. You are the God who is omniscient of knowing all things. You know the and guide the paths of stars millions of light years away. You know the the thoughts of all the billions of people upon this earth. You know our very thoughts here. Those of us in the sanctuary, those who are worshiping in their homes at this very moment, you know all things. You are the God who is omnipotent, all powerful. There is nothing that takes place outside of your will. You either directly have created it, guided it, directed it, you have permitted it so that it is achieving your purposes. Even this very pandemic is being used by your purposes for your glory and for our good. And may we, may we just continue to be humbled by this thought. This great creator, great God, all-powerful, all-knowing, present everywhere, is our Father. You love us as your very children. You are not too busy for us. You are not off on some trip, not far away, not distant, but you are here with us. wherever here might be. You're in our very, uh, very hearts and being, and you gladly listen to us. You do not begrudgingly turn your ear to our, uh, to our needs, our concerns, whatever it is that's worrying us, and to our petitions. You're not too far above the praises that we would, uh, in our frailty, give to you. But you delight in those praises. This is a good father delights uh, in the, the praises and in the blessings of his children. And that there are, no, there are no needs, there are no petitions that are too small for you to listen to. Oh, we thank you. Thank you for this great knowledge that is beyond our understanding. But how comforting it is to know that wherever we are at this this moment, at the moment in which these words are being heard, you are present, you are listening, you care for each and every one of us. Father, we confess that there are many times in which we have acted as though you were not present. And it has allowed us to commit other sins, thinking that we were doing them in secret. Or it has caused us to despair, in thinking that we were all alone and that we must take matters into our own hands, or that we must be filled with despair and not trust in you. Keep ever before us that you are before us. You are ahead of us, you are behind us, you are within us, all around us. You are always present. May that put a check on the sins that we would uh, be tempted to commit, and may that be a great encouragement that we may walk in your paths, knowing that you are with us, that your spirit is inside of us, strengthening, strengthening us, giving us that ability to live to your honor and glory, but especially of knowing. Knowing that your love and mercy is ever with us. And that we do not need to live in fear that we're going to stumble in some way or because we did forget that you were near. Because we did make that trespass. That we now have lost you. That you have departed from us. Keep ever before us your holy presence, your loving presence. May that fill us up for each day. Our Father, we do uh, pray for this world. Pray for this whole world that is experiencing the the trials and troubles of this pandemic. We pray for those who are ill uh, with the coronavirus, those whose lives are on the line at this very moment. We pray for their healing, for your sustaining of them. We pray for those doctors, for those nurses, all who are providing that care to save their lives and to bring healing to them. Thank you for the many thousands upon thousands who have, have been healed. And we pray for that continuing healing to take place. We pray for that less and less that these numbers will continue to decline of those who are infected with the virus, but especially those who have perished. Because of this virus, give to our leaders the wisdom that is needed, and decisions that are made. Whatever decisions are made, uh, will be dealt with uh, with conflict. Those agreeing, those disagreeing. We pray, our Father, that that You would prevent this virus and decisions that are made, prevent it causing disunion and division, we think particularly of our own country, of our own state and community. We pray all the more, our Father, that we will look back at this time and see how you have brought our country and our community, our state uh, through uh, this crisis. You brought it through and made us even stronger, ever more united uh, together. We pray that we as, as the citizens of your kingdom, we will be good citizens in this country, in this land that you have placed us, the state in this community. And we will honor you and glorify you before uh, our fellow citizens of our community and of our country. Give our own leaders, our elders in particular, wisdom as they think through of how to continue to, to shepherd and care for your people. And when will be the right time and how it would be for us to come back together again. I guide these men who are given this responsibility by the chief shepherd, Jesus Christ. And Father, I do, I do lift up our people, your flock. I lift up each one who are in their homes. Those who are listening down. Those who maybe listening later on, whatever the case may be, those who are as couples in their homes, as families, those who are single and alone in their homes and apartments, I pray for your blessings to be upon them, to lift them up, to keep them from discouragement, to see all the more and feel all the more your presence with them. Bring them through this. Make their faith ever stronger in you. For those who are going through illnesses and pains and loss of relationships, all the more bring them through this difficult time. Make them stronger through this. We look to you, our Father. We we are your children. And we need the care of our Father. We are your sheep and we need the, the care of our Good Shepherd. Feed us through this very worship service itself through the, the proclamation the hearing of your word and so we commit all this before you in Christ's name Amen
1: What you're reading today is from the book of John 21, verses 20 through 25. Again, reading from the English Standard Version. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, What is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And We know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written.
0: Well, we've come to the end of the Gospel of John. You know, and interestingly enough... John closes with his focus on Peter. As we look at the Jesus dialogue with Peter, we're going to learn what matters to Jesus and what Jesus wants us to care about. Now we're not going to take much time on those first 14 verses that were read earlier, except to note that the, you probably realize that the scenario is uncannily like the scene that was recorded in Luke's gospel back in chapter 5 of Luke, when when Jesus first calls Peter and James and John to follow him. Now, in that episode, they had uh, fruitlessly fished all night. Uh, Jesus had uh, told them to then cast their nets. And then what happens? Well, they haul in a huge catch. Jesus then tells them that they will... They will turn from their trade of catching fish, That he's going to make them into fishers of men. And they then respond by leaving their fishing, and they follow him. So, I want us to pay attention then, though, as we move along in our own story here in John, and see the similarities that continue. Now, John's focus in this chapter, as I notice, is on Peter, beginning here in these first 14 verses. It's Peter who had organized this fishing expedition. It is John who first recognizes Jesus, but then it's Peter who dives into that water and swims to him. This, this impulse of Peter to just kind of just take charge, to barge ahead of others, well that's, that apparently has remained in Peter. You know, he was the disciple who had marched into the tomb ahead of John on that first Easter morning. Although you might remember then that it was John who then also was the one who understood the significance of the grave clothes and believed the resurrection. So again, is John. He's the first one here, understanding the significance of, a, of this large catch, recognizing it as the work of his Lord Jesus. Now, let's move on into our further portion of our text, beginning with verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, that Jesus asked Peter if he loves him, and it's not difficult, is it, to understand the reason for why he asked Peter those three times. It was three times that Peter had denied Jesus. Now, it is a little bit unclear what Jesus meant in that first question when he asked, do you love me more than these? He could have been asking if Peter loved him. He could have been pointing to the to the boat, to the fishing net and the fish, and, and saying, do you love me more than this old way of life of yours? Or he could be asking if Peter loved him more than, well, more than he loved the disciples. He could have been pointing to them. Or he could have just been asking Peter, look, do you love me more than your fellow disciples love me? The last option, it seems the most fitting, because you remember it's Peter who had already declared beforehand, back in that last supper time, that if everyone else might deny him, but not Peter. Peter always believed that he's the one who loved Jesus the most. Well, whatever the case, what Jesus is getting at, what he wants to just know about Peter, do you, Peter, place me first in your love, more than you love anyone anything else. Now, one thing we also are not quite clear on is how long this conversation goes on. I mean, is Jesus asked his question in in the space of just a few minutes? Does it in the space maybe of an hour, maybe longer? I mean, we get the idea that the conversation began there at the breakfast around the fire, but we know later on that they have been walking. Well, however it may have been, What's clearly is taking place, at least for Peter, is that he's just not catching on to what Jesus is trying to convey, to what Jesus is doing with him. And let's get to that third time he's, the question is asked. And here we're told that Peter is grieved. And we're told specifically it's because Jesus is asking yet a third time. Now, even if we weren't told that, we could have picked it up about Peter's annoyance just in the way that he answered Jesus that final time. The previous two times when Jesus had asked, you know, Peter just said, Yes, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Well, he cuts out that word, yes, uh, the third time. And he replaces it with, Lord, you know everything. Now commentators, they like this answer and they think it's, a, it's, it's, it's Peter's humble acknowledgement of, of Jesus' sovereign knowledge. That Peter is starting to you know, not be as strong about himself and to note that it is Jesus who is the one who has the real knowledge. But it doesn't strike me that way in this text. It looks to me to be more an expression of exasperation. Like, you know, like the man who is wearied by the woman's constant question, do you love me? And finally he says, you know I love you. Why do you keep asking me? Well, whatever it is that's going on in Peter's mind, Peter is right that the Lord knows everything. But see, even that would have made me think, if, if, if Peter really believes that, then wouldn't Peter be asking Jesus, well, why are you asking me this? Since you already do know I love you, you know everything, what are you getting at? But Peter doesn't ask that question. He's just irritated. Now, perhaps a greater significance is not the asking Peter how many times he, he loves him, but it's Jesus' response to each time. Notice, he doesn't thank Peter for loving him. He does not reply, well, Peter, I love you too. He does not do what we would expect to to say, Peter, I want you to know that I forgive you for each time you denied me. Instead, he gives Peter a commission to shepherd his sheep. Feed my lambs. tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Apparently, Roman Catholic theologians and commentators, they see in this commissioning there of Peter the basis for the role of Pope. They think this is Jesus' commissioning of Peter to be the first Pope of the Church. Now, the result of that is that when Protestant commentators, they come to this passage, they take pains to prove that this commission was not for for Peter alone, that there were the fellow apostles there who were present. Now, I personally don't see a problem with Jesus feeling out Peter in this case, because I just really don't see how doing so sets Peter up to be a, a pope. What I think is happening here is that Jesus is directing the use of Peter's his strength of character, his, his obvious zeal uh, for his Lord. He's directing that to, for, for good purpose. He's saying something like this, Peter... Use your devotion to for me for the good of my sheep. If you love me, well, then you will lovingly tend my flock. Now, I tell you, if there's anything that Peter needed, it was direction on how to use his gifts, particularly how to use his zeal for his Lord. Now, it is this direction, I think, that he, that is the most important part of the passage, namely, The call to shepherd Jesus' flock. You know, we can't look at this commissioning about shepherding Jesus' flock without thinking back to chapter 10 of John's Gospel. There Jesus declares himself to be the good shepherd. He's the one who knows and he cares for uh, his sheep. He is the one who will even die for his sheep. And it seems that what Jesus is saying to Peter is that if Peter wants to know his heart, the heart of his Lord, well, his heart is then to love, to care for his sheep. Who are the sheep of Jesus? Well, they are all who, as Jesus said back then, who will hear the voice of the good shepherd. They are those who follow him. They are the sheep who are already resting in his flock, they are the sheep who will later on become a part of his flock. And Jesus knows all of them. And he wants Peter, and he wants the rest of the apostles, to bring them into that flock and to shepherd them. This is how Peter is to show his love for his Lord. Now, John then takes up a, or I'm sorry, Jesus takes up another topic with Peter. Look with me in verse 18 and 19. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Now, I tell you, I I personally am glad that John clarified what Jesus was telling Peter. There are a lot of people, at least in our day and age, of elderly folks who could say, this is their lot now. And even in this picture that Jesus gives, it it still seems vague. I, I mean, I would not be able to figure out what it was that he was telling me. But the bottom line here is that Peter will eventually do Will he'll eventually do what he promised Jesus, that he will die for his Lord. And then we're told by that Jesus, after saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. You know, when Peter heard those words, follow me, that command should have stirred up some emotions in Peter. He, he heard that long ago when he first saw Jesus while he was fishing. And Jesus comes and he, he calls them. He's going to make them fishers of men. And he tells, he tells Peter and he tells his brother Andrew, for his very first words to them, Follow me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He heard those words again another time. This was after an exchange between him and Jesus. You know, Peter had made his great confession that Jesus was the Christ, that, that he was the son of the living God. But when Jesus then spoke of his sufferings and of his death to come, what happened? Well, we know that Peter rebuked him for such talk. Well, Jesus did his own rebuking of Peter then, and then he spoke these words. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find him. You'll find that in Matthew 16. Now I say, Peter ought to have been stirred by Jesus' words. But that's not what happens, is it? His attention is turned elsewhere. Look with me in verse 20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them the one who also had leaned back against him during uh, the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that the disciples was not to die, Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? So yes. What what is that to you, Peter? You know, I do try to be careful, I'm very conscious about this, not to add to what Scripture does not make clear. I, I certainly try to avoid getting into the mind of Jesus. I tell you, I can only think that Jesus has lost patience with Peter once again. What is it to you, Peter? Peter, give me eye contact. Don't look at John. Look at me. I'm restoring to you the office of being an apostle. Here I am. I'm giving you the opportunity to, to reaffirm your love, your commitment to me. I am prophesying to you. To you, that you will face death for me. I'm calling you, you Peter, personally to follow me as the shepherd of my sheep, even to your death. Why in the world are you concerned about John? Follow me. Well, John then brings his gospel to a close with the one truth that he once made known. That this gospel which is John's testimony. This Gospel of John is the testimony of John about Jesus Christ, that it is true. So, John brings us back to the thought with which he had closed that previous chapter, that his Gospel is testimony of the true nature, of the true work of Jesus Christ. That we are to take this Gospel as Gospel truth. Now, let's think about... The lessons that we can learn from this passage. And to do so, we need to think about how Peter reflects us. You know, Peter's and John's conversation, I have to note, it leads me to think that the two, I think the two had already had their, their forgiveness moment. I mean, most commentators, again, they look at this and they say, this is the time in which Peter receives those words of forgiveness. Well, I tell you, neither one of them brings up the subject of Peter's sin or of forgiveness. And Peter here is not acting like a guilt-ridden man. Now, this dialogue between the two has more to do with commissioning Peter for his service. Which, when you think about him, actually should be more affirming to Peter than words of actual forgiveness. Let me think about this again. If we have failed someone... Now it's good to receive words of forgiveness, but even then, we can still, you know, we can still remain feeling that that guilt, feeling that the shame of it. And indeed, at times, I mean, actually, forgiveness can make us all the more shameful of our sin. Now, what we need, along with forgiveness, is some kind of affirmation that our sin, that our failure has been forgotten. Or at least that it's, it's no longer what labels us. And the only way for really for that to happen is for the person whom we've offended to somehow move on with us onto other matters. And that's what Jesus is doing here with Peter. He's moving forward. He's giving Peter work to do. Important work. Work that matters to Jesus. It's the kind of work given only to someone that Jesus can trust and depend upon. It's the kind of work in which, I tell you, if we were there, we'd be advising Jesus to be cautious about giving it to, giving it to Peter, who's proved himself only to be impulsive, unreliable, definitely not a clear thinker. Jesus, are you sure you got the right guy for the job? Maybe John would be the better fellow. And i tell you, Peter certainly doesn't change our opinion, does he, when he becomes distracted about that man, about John? Well, I suspect that what's happening here is that Jesus' confidence in Peter lies not in Peter himself, but I can think of two promises that Jesus makes. One is that promise that's made when he gave his disciples the, the Great Commission, which is known as the Great Commission. As is expressed in matthew twenty eight twenty and he says, "I am with you always to the end of the age and then there's a the second promise that's recorded uh, just in in a couple of chapters uh, back here in John, and that 's the promise made by Jesus that he would send the Holy Spirit or he referred to the Holy Spirit as the the helper that 's how you like to name that holy spirit it is what In other words, that Jesus will do for Peter and for the rest of the apostles that allows him to entrust Peter with this commission. And one lesson here is to remember this for ourselves. We also, all of us, who follow Jesus are called to live for Jesus. We are called to serve him in his kingdom. This too is how we are to prove That we love our Lord. And there are going to be times, many times, in which we feel inadequate for the task. But we're to take comfort in that God does, that Jesus does not choose us to, to serve Him on the basis of what He sees in us. He didn't look at us and say, well, oh, you obviously have the abilities, I can trust you with this. Rather, he chooses us for service on the basis of what he will provide for us, what he will do within us. We are never alone. Remember that. We are never without the aid of his helper, the Holy Spirit. Now let's consider also here the work that's entrusted to Peter. He is to be a shepherd. He is to be a shepherd who tends and and feeds the flock of Jesus. In other words, he is to be a pastor. Did you know the term pastor comes from the Latin word that is used for shepherd? To be a pastor is to be a shepherd. That is to be the mindset of any church pastor. And for a Presbyterian church, of any elder. We are to regard the congregation, we elders, as Christ's flock for whom we are given the high responsibility to watch over and to feed. And so, for example, the Apostle Paul in Acts 24, he exhorts the elders of that church in Ephesus to, keep, to do this, to keep watch over their flock and to protect them from what he calls the wolves. Who are the wolves? They are false teachers. And so the best way to protect from false teachers is to feed the flock with orthodox teaching. Teaching that nourishes uh, the people, that immunizes them from what is false and harmful. Perhaps you don't know, but let me tell you that uh, you should know of the pressures for pastors and elders today to be anything and everything but shepherds. Today, we have the books and that tell us about all of this, that we're to be, we're to be coaches and cheerleaders. And we, we enable the people of the congregation to go do the ministry. Or there are other books that tell us we're to be CEOs. And, and we manage the business of the church. And our primary calling is to provide vision and direction for our people to go out there and and do the business of the church. And when it does come around to teaching, what our focus is supposedly supposed to be is, well, it's supposed to be practical. We're supposed to provide good tips, good principles for living a victorious life. And and if there's anything that really matters when it comes to teaching, well, you've got to be dynamic. That's what matters. Now, when you break down... Each of these, these concepts, it's, actually, it's, it's hard to argue with any of them because each of them actually do have a measure of truth. We are to be encouraging. There is a measure of, of coaching that's going on. And we certainly should not be boring teachers. But the scriptural focus, what is Jesus' focus here, is for the pastor of a church and the elders of a church to shepherd their people to feed them with the Word of God. And it is that faithful, consistent feeding, that is what is going to be the most effective in the long run in nourishing and protecting the people under their care. Now, what does this mean for you? It tells you what you ought to be hungry for. You should be persons who demand Nourishing teaching. You should be demanding teaching that takes you deep into God's Word. Teaching that instructs you, exhorts you, comforts you, convicts and encourages you in and through and from the Word of God. That is how you are to judge all preachers and teachers. Always ask yourself, especially, especially after enjoying a message, what is it that I learn from God's word? Now, by the way, Peter apparently did at some point take to heart what Jesus was trying to convey to him about being a shepherd. In his first letter, he writes to the elders of a church these words. This is from 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And what we see here in this instruction by Peter to his fellow elders, we see here a shepherd, shepherd who obviously loves his flock, who sees the importance of modeling Christ-like behavior, who looks to the future There is the suffering but beyond the suffering to the glory that awaits the faithful shepherd when the chief shepherd Jesus returns. There's another time in which Peter refers to his shepherd in his epistle. It's in 1 Peter 2.25. And what he has to say to others, he could have said to himself and probably did many times, For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter returned to the shepherd of his soul, and he became a productive shepherd of the church. And so likewise know this, that you who have come to the good shepherd can not only have your souls saved, but he will use you to serve in his kingdom among his flock. And if it should be the case that you have strayed, we know that you may return. And you will find a good shepherd ready to care for you, as if you had never left. And if you might be listening now, and you are someone who has never come to Jesus, listen now to his voice calling you, and come. He is waiting for you. We give you thanks and praise our God for our Lord Jesus Christ, our good shepherd. For the shepherd who came and died for us, his sheep. For the good shepherd who continues to watch over us, to tend us and feed us. And who does this through his elders and through his pastors. And we pray for them all the more that you may give them all that they need to be true under shepherds of his. But I pray for all who are listening now to know that their Lord is their shepherd who is there with them always and will be with them till he shall return again. In his name we pray. Amen.